0: Thanks so much for joining us at C3 Silicon Valley for our podcast. If you have a story to share about what God is doing in your life or how this ministry has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at mystoryc 3 svcom Enjoy today's message. Are you ready for the preaching of God's Word this morning? Wow, wasn't that incredible worship? This worship team are on fire, Pastor Carly. My goodness. I love the presence of the Lord. I feel God's presence here. And when I say I feel God's presence, I'm not looking for a feeling. I'm not looking for like the hairs to stand up on my, I'm not looking for a a tingly feeling. When I say I feel God's presence, I feel my faith being enlarged. I feel like I can believe for more. I feel like just being around God, something on the inside of me gets bigger than the fear that's trying to take me down. That's, that's what I'm talking about when I say I feel God's presence. I feel faith in the atmosphere. I got to preach. You ready for the Word? If you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew. I want to read a passage of Scripture. Just while you stay standing for a moment, I want to read a passage of Scripture just kind of as we open up this brand new series. And I want to read from a very well-known passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, giving you a moment and a minute to get there. If there is a guy around you, a man around you, just just, just maybe massage his shoulders because we had a men's weekend this weekend. It was rough. It was rough. Yeah, thanks, AJ. It was rough, but man, there was something happened this weekend. I tell you, these these men will never be the same. God showed up and are you feeling good, men? Give me some love. Come on, man. Where is it? Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, and some, they just say one of the prophets. You see, people began to spread rumours and thoughts and tried to articulate who Jesus was and tried to position Him into their frame of reference, tried to position Him into their frame of mind. But, but how many people know there's no way to articulate the Son of Man, there's no way to articulate God by, by something in the past. He is. He is. And then I like what Jesus goes on to say. He says, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. He's like, this revelation came from God. This was straight from God. I like this because you do not need me in order for you to hear from God. God doesn't need to speak to you through me. He can and He will. But He wants to speak directly into your heart. If you would just open it and hear. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will. Everyone say, I will. I will will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth. Will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. We're gonna spend the next several weeks kind of unpacking this conversation that Jesus has with the disciples as we really kind of discover as a church what what is it to, to really live on mission. And we've entitled this series Apostolos. Everyone say it with me. Apostolos. It's Greek, it's fancy. But really what apostolos means, and I'm going to explain it through the sermon today. I, I, don't, I don't need you to understand it. You, you're not going to get tested on this. Okay, this is not pass or fail. I will educate you on what apostolos is. So, so I'll save that for the sermon. But I will give you the sermon title. Are you ready for it? The sermon title today, and you can write this at the head of your notes. The sermon title is, This is not normal. This is not normal. How many people know what God's doing in our community is not normal? Amen. It's just not normal. It's not normal for a three-year-old church to have three campuses, people coming to Christ. It's not normal. It's not normal. So I want you to do something as you get ready for the Word of God this morning. I want you to find five of the most not normal people around you. And just say, it's all right to be not normal. It's all right to be not normal. Come on, San Jose. Come on, Palo Alto. It's all right to not be normal. Just come on, help them out. Help them out. Help them out this morning. It is okay for you to be not so normal. Things just ain't normal things aren't always normal I, I, I find that i find that most of the time people are normal until you are on a plane with them how many people know what i'm talking about you know what I'm talking about, like, like people uh, seem to be normal in life, you could take your normal everyday average person, you're sitting in here kind of normal, and, and if you met them in everyday life, they would probably be normal, but, but as soon as you put them on a plane in a confined space, it's amazing how unnormal people can be. It's like, and it doesn't usually happen as much on your, on your regional flights, on your domestic flights, on your, on your, on your national flights, it's your international flights. And recently, I've been on, it feels like I've been on a lot of planes recently, and, and I was on a flight from Australia back here to the United States, and that's like a 14-hour flight. So that's just, that's not, that's not kids' business. That's like, that's, that's serious flying. And, and I don't know why, but this plane was full of not normal people, especially the guy next to us. Now, on the line up to the plane, I thought, yeah, I was, I was surveying the situation. I'm like, I'm really glad we've got a normal flight today. No one looked too crazy. But then I had this guy who was sitting like a row across the aisle, and he was sitting in his seat. And he, it must have been his first flight ever because he's got the headphones on, and he's laughing about the movie so loud, and he's nudging people like they're watching the same movie. He's like, yeah. And everyone's like, just like, what is this guy's deal? I'm watching like, like a serious movie, you know what I mean? And I feel like crying. I was watching Romeo and Juliet. No, I mean, anyway, but, but I'm watching a serious movie and he's like laughing and he gets to the point even when the movie finishes where he's still laughing as the credits are rolling and he's just like, ah, like, like he does that big sigh, like, man, that was a great experience, wasn't it, everybody? Everyone's like, man. And then he took it one step further, and after he finished his meal, he, he reclines his chair and he puts the blanket on, feet up, and, and, and as he's falling asleep, he started to let that little sound out, called a snore. And you know, you know when they start, you've got like 30 seconds to get to sleep, otherwise they're keeping you up the rest of the flight. It's like the sign. It's like, oh man, I better get to sleep. You start panicking and you put the eye patch on, you put the earbuds in. You're like, I can't do it because it's getting louder and louder. And this guy was like a chronic snorer that was so loud. And at first it's so frustrating. At first you're annoyed, but then it gets to a point when it's that loud, it becomes humorous. You know, when everyone on the plane is having a joke and this guy has no idea, but then they wake up in the morning and you're like wretched. You're like, man, I just like, I hate you. You know, I know I'm a pastor, but right now I don't care. But, 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 but you wake up and, and he's just like, oh, you know what I mean? He's so fresh. He had his snoring all 14 hours, you know, and he's having a great time. But I find that there is situations in life that are not normal. And it's not just planes, it's parents. I'm a parent. Parents are not normal. Have you ever seen a parent talk to their newborn child? They don't speak Normal. I always put on the voice, you know. It's like they can't help it. You just put a voice on. Teenagers are not normal. Amen. Any parents going me be some help? I got a, got a child going into teenage years. My wife, she'll just she'll help me this morning preach. But teenagers, you know, where there used to be a time where what was really popular were these bands called W uh, W J D bands. Does anybody remember that? What would Jesus do? All those have put their hand up have been saved for a couple of years now. But but. But it used to fascinate me when, when people would get into a situation and, oh, well, what would Jesus do? I wanted to remind them, you really want to know what Jesus would have done? Because Jesus would walk on water. Jesus would multiply food. Jesus would pay tax from fish money. Jesus, Jesus would do some pretty crazy stuff. Is that what you're asking? Jesus, what would you do in this situation? He'd get crazy. How many people know that? Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you're not normal. In a good way. In, in, in the best kind of way. I'm not trying to make enemies in my church. In the best way. You, you, you're not normal. And I say that because I do not think that Jesus' plan for our life is normalcy. I don't think he wants us to live normal. What even is normal? What is normal? You know, from Matthew's gospel, we see a conversation between Jesus and the disciples in which Jesus introduces the, the concept of the church. He says, "I will build my church now now when we read the Bible, we read with context we we know pre we know post we know right in the middle, so when we say church, when Jesus says church, we have an idea of what he's talking about if even if I was to to tell you to quit what you're doing right now and I feel that God's saying you need to go and start a church, start our fourth campus, you would probably freak out, but then you would have a picture of what to build you would know somewhat well we you have some singing and someone's gonna preach and, and, and someone well I know I know church, but there was no understanding from the disciples when Jesus said church, the, the church hadn't formed. In fact, the church wouldn't form until Acts chapter 2. So when he says church, that's a new concept, and this is the first time that he's unveiling this concept called the church. And and, and this is what it is. He he was revealing a concept that they would ultimately live to build and die for. The church, a concept they had no idea about at the time. Even the term apostolos was a a Greek term that was given to the apostles because they would fulfill this mission with so much passion and so much fervor, they did not care what anybody thought. I mean, the, the early believers, they revered the apostles. They considered the apostles OG because they didn't care if it was not popular. They didn't care if they got thrown in prison. They didn't care if it wasn't PC in the workplace to talk about Jesus. Man, they didn't care. They were passionate about this message of the church. They were passionate. This church, this concept, this idea was the mission. A mission so radical it upsets social norm. A mission with an unpredictable path, yet unprecedented power. It was a mission that was a cause that was not normal by any chance because it confronted conformity and it confronted complacency and it confronted compromise. It confronted everything that was the norm of that day. This was the church. A calling and a mission that was centered around Christ. And through this conversation with the 12, we, we see Jesus, he, he seems to highlight Peter. Out of all the 12, he, he kind of dials it into Peter, or, or maybe it was just Peter that stepped up to the plate in his answer. And he first asked them, he said, who, who do people say that I am? We read it. Because he'd been hearing the rumors himself. People have been murmuring, man, is this Elijah? Come back, is... He it's, it's kind of, sounds a little bit like Jeremiah. He's got that Jeremiah spin. You know, he's, he's got that, that Jeremiah tone. Maybe maybe it's Jeremiah. Well, we definitely know he's one of the prophets. They really didn't have an idea, but, but they were trying to articulate with a picture that they had in the past of who Jesus could be. But what Jesus wanted them to understand is there is no box that you could put Jesus in. For what I wanted to build, there's no box, there's no frame, there's no set, there's no, there's no pathway that, that has been predicted or, or possibly even been shown in the past to reveal just who Jesus was. And in fact, the foundation he was trying to set was one that was not normal. It was, it was radical. It was completely unnormal. And so Peter, he chimes in and he says, He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then I like how Jesus responds directly into Peter's revelation. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Peter reveals who Jesus is, and then Jesus reveals who Peter is. And I got to tell you this, that, that, that the pathway to identifying who you really are starts with knowing who Jesus really is. Oh, help me preach today. The first step, man, especially people trying to find themselves in fashion, trying to find themselves in this group, trying to find themselves in this category. i got to tell you, if you really want to identify who you are, find out who Jesus is and He will name you. Oh. And what He names you is higher than what you could call yourself. He named him Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my Church, I love that. And every church pastor at that point puts their legs up and their hands back and says, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're going to build it. It's not on me. It's not on me. It's on Jesus. Jesus said he's going to build the church. He's going he's to build it. He's going to build it. And here's the question that I'd like for us to discover. If Jesus said that he will build his church, then what's my part? Do I just put my feet up, put my hands behind my head and be like, oh, Jesus, you're going to build the church. But I kind of want to know what what my part is because I'm going to really build this life. I kind of want to build a life connected to his calling. I I really want to build my life on a foundation, and a revelation, and I want it to mean something. I actually want it to matter. I don't want to just go through the circuit and go through the motion. I want to have a direction in mind. So God, I'd really love to know what's my part with this mission that you commissioned the disciples with, and now we are the modern day disciples, so it's our commission as well. So God, what is my part? Would anybody like to know? Let's discover it together and build upon this foundation in Matthew where, where, where Jesus reveals that, that, that I will build my church. So let's go with me real quick in your Bible to the book of Acts. Can we do that? Let's go, let's go to the early church. Let's look at the early church. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's all good. I'm prepared for you. I put it up on the screen. I sent them my notes last week. So lucky for you. Acts chapter 1 and 2 really talk about two things. Acts chapter 1 is committed and connected to the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 is, talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. really sets the scene for the, for the Acts and the, and the message of of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, what the Apostles did after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. And, and it's fascinating to me when, when, when Paul, or any of, of the disciples, in fact, when, when Paul was actually uh, preaching, he would preach about Jesus, he would preach about power, and the disciples lived in that power. But every time Jesus said something to them, they were surprised when it actually happened. Yeah, that's right. He told them, He's like, wait, in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to be poured out and I will send a helper. But even while they're waiting, they're wondering if it's working. And it's not just the disciples, we do it. We go through seasons of ups and downs where we wonder, God, are you still there? God, are you still working? God, are you still with me? But he's written it very clearly in his word. But yet we're surprised when it actually happens. And so here we've got a situation in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit's been poured out and the church was birth, and it was, it was birthed in power. And we see that through the upper room experience and, and abnormal things began to happen. Man, on the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the church was formed. And, and what's fascinating in the, in the day the church was formed, it says Peter began to preach and he began to preach with power, so much power that 3,000 people got saved. That's a good day. That's a really good day. And not only did 3,000 people get saved, but check this out. The church began to share. Mm. They began to sell properties. They began to cash in belongings. And anybody who was in need, they made sure they were no longer in need. Your needs are met. It's like wild church. Wild, crazy church. It's not normal church. And then we come to Acts chapter 3. And I want to take a look at this. Really what is the first recorded miracle in the book of Acts to help us identify what part we play in the mission of God. It says this in Acts chapter 3 verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day. Everyone say every day. Every day day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, here we have a very interesting scene. Peter and John are going daily to the prayer service. It was a daily prayer service. Nobody needed to send out a tweet or an Instagram to let them know the prayer service was on because it was on every day. Every day at 3 p.m. And as they're going, we've got a a lame man who just at that time is being laid at the temple gate. Now, now let let me just kind of kind of talk about this for a moment, because the lame man, he, he's simply referred to not by name, but by lame man. It's what he's called. He's, he's called by his condition. And, and, and that's how life can be sometimes. It's indicative of life that we can often be categorized by our condition. Oh, help me. Come on. Uh, I'll come back to that because I know you're not ready. I know i got to warm you up before I start preaching the good stuff. I don't want to let the good stuff out too early when you're all like kind of just sitting back in your chair. I've got to get you to the front of your chair. I've got to get you on your tippy toes before I start preaching the good stuff. So I'm going to come back to that. Don't preach the good stuff early. That's what they say. But here what we do have is a picture of routine. It was a daily service. Why don't you write that down, routine? I'm going to give you five words. This morning, that are going to help you understand what your part is in the mission of God. The first one is routine. You know, Kira and I love to share the story of this church. Just to share how three years ago God moved us from Australia and, and, and to plant a church with His calling in mind to start a church because it's a story of faith and it's nothing short of miraculous what God's been doing. And, and but every time I share the story. I find that the dangers every time that, that come from possibly communicating on some level that in order to be greatly used by God, that God needs to take you out of your current place. Yeah. And sometimes He does. Sometimes He has to shift you. But, but I feel like more often than not, God isn't so interested in, in moving you out of your current situation right. as much as He's interested in moving in your current yeah. situation. That God is more interested in moving in the midst of your current routine. That God wants to move in your workplace to reach your current work friends. Yeah. That just maybe God is interested in moving in the PTA meeting that your, that your kids go to, the school your kids go to, so that God can speak His truth through you into that school. Yeah. Yeah. Just maybe God is interested in, in, in looking at, at the fact that you have a routine in your life, and He wants to use the routine in your life to do something miraculous. That he wants to bring the miraculous into your routine. This was the case for Peter and John. See, they had an upper room experience. They had an experience where the, the power of God was poured out. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Man, he preached. Man, that was a Sunday. I'm telling you. That was a Sunday. He preached and 3,000 people came to Christ. 3,000 people were added to the church. Man, they had, they had power. People were blown away. Man, it was like, man, the church blew up on Sunday. But then It's Monday. And he's going to to the 3 o'clock prayer service. He's back in routine. I would say this. A word that we could directly exchange for routine would be Monday. How many people know that? Because tomorrow you got Monday. And so often that can be frustrating when we have an incredible time in God's presence. And we're full of faith. And God's speaking into our lives. And we're having this amazing time in His presence. Man, it's like, man, God, if I could just stay in Sunday, but now I'm on Monday. God, would you just get me through Monday? Get me through it. Get me back to Sunday, God. But I feel like this might help some people. Sunday's great. And God will speak to you on Sunday. But God doesn't want you just to camp on Sunday Sunday. His plan for you is to take Sunday into your Monday. That you wouldn't just survive Monday, but He would use your Monday platform to be a carrier of His presence. That I don't just have to stay in God's presence. I take God's presence with me into my Monday and I transform my entire week. And so here we've got the disciples and now they're, they're back to the routine. They're, they're back to that place. They're, they're back to that, that, that daily prayer service. And it says this in verse 3, when, when He saw Peter and John... About to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, this guy's smart. He, he's a smart guy. He, he's, been, he's, not, he's not just like this workplace injury guy that, that now he can't earn an income, so now he has to find somewhere to, to ask for money. No, he's been lame from birth. So he's experienced. He knows exactly where, where the money comes from. He knows that if he's going to get money, the, the best people, the most generous people are the people that go to church. Let me say it again. He knows that the, the most generous people are the ones that go to church. Uh, they're not feeling me at the back. I know they're feeling me in San Jose. But, but the most generous people are the ones that go to church. The ones that know what Christ has done for them. And so he positions himself like at, at the temple gate. Just as people are going to church... And he's realized, man, if I position myself here, there's every chance I'm going to get paid. Every chance I'm going to get some money. And so he positions himself strategically just as Peter was walking in. It says, verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now, this guy would have known from experience that maybe it's probably one in every, I don't know, let's say 100, one in every 100 people. As you're asking for money, that it's the the odds are maybe one in every hundred gives you something, but what he knew is what to look for, as the eye contact, the one he could make eye contact with. So he's sitting there, any money, 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 please, Anybody, any any help, anybody get some money, and then all of a sudden Peter and John come along, and there's eye contact. It says he looked at him intently, and he's thinking, man, this is it. I don't know what I'm going to get maybe it's a tenner. Maybe it's a dollar bill. I, I, I don't know, what am, what am, what am I going to get? So he's, he's engaged and it says this, check it out. It says, then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Expecting to get something. Expecting to get something. This man had expectation, but it was misplaced expectation. And I say that because... So often we can be aware of the fact, and I hope we're all aware of the fact, that there can often be a separation from what I expect and what I experience. Can I preach about this for a moment? That there can be a separation from what I expect and from what I experience. I mean, this can happen in all kinds of scenarios. Take take marriage, for instance. What you expect can drastically be different from what you experience. Kira experienced this. When we got married, she had an expectation. But her experience has been far above all of her expectations. Because she serves a God who can do abundantly, above everything you can ask, believe, or imagine. Expectations and experience. But he had experienced... He had an expectation of something. In fact, he had a a temporary expectation. And here's what happens in life when you have an expectation and an experience that's lower. The gap between your experience and your expectation is frustration. You just get frustrated. Because I had an expectation, but now my experience is lower than what I expected. And what I can develop is a, a deep disappointment. Can we consider for a moment the level of unmet expectations in this man's life. Can we just imagine that for a moment? That he has been lame since birth. There has been no time in his entire life where an expectation has been met. And often I feel like our problem is that our expectation is always connected to our limitation. I'm trying to teach something. That our, that our expectation is so often connected to the limitation. I, I don't know what your limitation is. Uh, maybe it depends on what your specific limitation is. For this guy, he was, he was lame, but, but maybe your limitation is fear. Maybe your limitation is shame of the past. Maybe your limitation is anxiety. Uh, maybe your limitation is... Ang- I, I don't know what your limitation is, but, 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 but maybe you had an expectation. Even in marriage, you can have an expectation until death do us part. But your experience sometimes can be lower than your expectation. Creates an unmet expectation. And what we inevitably do in life to cope with the disappointment of unmet expectation is we actually lower our expectation to meet our experience. We just lower it. Well, this is my expectation It's my experience, I'm going to lower my expectation. Now this is problematically because fundamentally what you experience in life will determine the level of your expectation. So what you expect will determine the level of your experience. So what do we do? Because I can see it all the time. I see it with people coming to church. I see that in their minds their expectation is that church is full of hateful, judgmental people. And so it's fascinating that sometimes that's what they experience. And maybe that was derived from a past experience. But then at the same time, I see people who come into church with a hopeful expectation. That this is a place of hope. This is a place of life. That just maybe this is the answer for my current condition. And it's amazing how their experience matches their high expectation. I want you to write that down. Can we write that down? Expectation. It's word number two, expectation. For this crippled man, he had lowered his expectation over time. His, he, his condition was, was crippled. He, he had to be carried around. That was the routine of his, of his life. That was the condition of his life. And, and so when he encounters Peter and John, the level of his hope is that at most he could get a temporary fix. That was the something. He, expected, he had expectation, but it was misplaced expectation because his hope was in something. Something something, a, a temporary fix, just enough to get through the day. But his hope was maybe he could find a sympathetic person who, who could just give him enough to get by for the moment. And I wonder if this is similar to our approach to God, that we pray like, God, could you just get me through this thing? God, if you could get me through this immediate thing, I'll do all kinds of things for you. Yeah. Right? That's how we bargain with God. Just get me through this thing. But, but I wonder... Just maybe, and this might be too deep, I don't know, but, but, but I wonder if what you're going through, the current pain of your circumstance, God is not looking to take you out for a temporary fix, but to establish something eternal in you that will be far better and far greater for His glory than just a temporary fix and the temporary evacuation of your situation. Just maybe there's a bigger thing in mind. That requires, That requires a deep knowledge. And I'm here to tell you this. Jesus is in the business of not just meeting expectations. He's all about exceeding expectations. That's our God. You know, we can look for something temporary when God is actually setting us up for something eternal. Eternal. Verse, verse six, let's go to verse six. It says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. This is powerful. He's like, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for a temporary fix, but I don't have the temporary thing. All I've got is, is the eternal change that Christ has done in my life. So what I have, I give to you. I love that understanding that what you have received, God says you can give it also. And so he says, what I have, I give to you. Can I show you something for a moment? Because to really understand what Peter is saying here, we need to go back to that passage we read in Matthew, where Jesus said, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18, I We'll build my church. And that gets a lot of airtime. that passage, right? Yeah. You heard it before. Everyone loves to, to pray that one at prayer meetings. It's like, I'll build my church. Jesus said it. So guys, let's just relax. Let's chill. Let's let Jesus. Jesus said he's going to do it. I don't want to get in the way, in the, in the way of Jesus. So let's just let Jesus do Jesus. Let's just let Jesus build the church. But what we often miss is verse 19. Where Jesus doesn't just say, I will build my church. Verse 19, he says, and I will give you, everyone say give you. Give I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Yeah. While Jesus makes, Jesus makes it clear that he will build the church, he, he makes it equally clear that he gives us his authority wow. to extend his kingdom. I want you to write down the word authority. Write that down, authority. What is Authority. Well, Peter, he reached out to the man and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter here uses for the very first time the keys of the kingdom. For the first time, uh, back when Jesus said it, he said, I will give it. He hadn't given it. He let them know of a time that will come when the church will be birthed right in startup phase. It's like church startup right there. And maybe I'm talking your language now. But but just as in the early days, even before it had any funding, here's the church just just getting off the ground, just getting some traction. And and now was the time for, for the gift that God was giving them to be released as the Holy Spirit came upon them. And here's the first time that... that Peter begins to stretch out and and operate in the keys of the kingdom. And he he says the word, he says, in Jesus' name. He says, in Jesus' name. Because Peter knew that all authority belonged to Jesus. It was Jesus that took sin. It was Jesus that defeated sin and death. And he has the authority. But just because Jesus has the authority and and because your name is connected to Jesus, you have authority. You know, while we were in, in Sydney, we had... We were speaking at a conference, and, and, and as a speaker at the conference, they, they give you green room access. And you know, I'm, I'm not too big on them usually, but, but you know, when you're preaching a lot and you're talking a lot, it's really good to have a place where you can kind of get refreshed and you can kind of center yourself and unwind for a bit before you, you speak. And, and as we were in there, uh, my name was on there, uh, Kira's name was on there, but then I'm in there and I noticed my girls are just in, they're just walking in, they help themselves to the food. They, they were helping themselves to the fridge, getting the sodas out. And they're just walking in and out like they own the place. And I wanted to stop them and say, what did you girls do to deserve this? What have you done? Did you pay for this trip? Did you, did you preach? Did you prepare? But it's fascinating when you understand the power that's connected to the name that you bear. Oh, help me preach. It's fascinating when you understand that your name is connected to Jesus, that you bear the very name of the Savior, the the Messiah, the God Himself. When you carry that name, man, there is a power that's attached to your life. There is a privilege that's attached to your life because you operate under the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And when you fast forward in this story, in fact, the chapter 4 of Acts you find that the religious leaders, they, they get Peter and John and they get them before the council and they ask, under what name did you heal this man? Right. Under what power? Under what goal is what they're saying? Do you think you can just go around healing people? <laughs> and it says this in Acts chapter 4 verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly, let there be no mistake, state to all of you and and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in Scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other Name under heaven by which man can be saved. He he makes it clear. All authority comes from Jesus. All power comes from Jesus. And when you bear the name of Jesus, when you're in relationship with Jesus, you also get to extend that authority because he gave the keys. I know that's not popular. I know that's not very Bay Area. I know what's popular is, all oh, man, whatever you want to do, any way you want to go, it'll all lead to the same point. Oh, wow. But the Bible says there's, there's only one way. Yes. And there's no other name. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. Oh. It's no normal name. It's a name above all names. There's power in the name. When you come to Jesus, the Bible says that you're adopted into the family name. You carry that name. I don't know what you've been called. I don't know what name you've been carrying. But when you come into relationship with Jesus, you get a new name. Simon went to Peter. Jesus named him because he identified who Jesus was and he named him. When you come into relationship with Jesus, he gives you a new name. He gives you his name. Verse 7 it goes on to say, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. I have to make this point. Peter didn't just stop at words. Peter didn't just encourage him. He, he confronted his condition. He reached into his situation. And for there to be change, there needs to be confrontation. Could you write that word down? Confrontation. That's the fourth word, confrontation. Because change comes in the midst of confrontation. God cannot change what you're not willing to confront. I feel like I'm ready to preach it now. Because we're often categorized by our condition. We're often labeled by our condition in life. We, we, we often see ourselves through the condition of our life. We, we look at ourselves as divorced or, or, we, or we categorize ourselves in, 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 because of something that's happened in the past. And we, we put that condition as how we're categorized. And that's how we call ourselves. And the Bible didn't even give this guy a name. It's not recorded. Because he had taken on the persona of, of lame man. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's, he's trying to let us know that, yeah, He's going to build the church. You don't need to worry about it. i got it all planned. I'm going, to, I'm going to reach people. I'm going to share my grace. I'm going to love on people. I'm going to accept them just as they are. That's how the church is going to be built, by grace. Not by you, by grace. By my grace. Your faith, but my grace. But what I'm going to give you is the keys of the kingdom to begin to unlock people as you begin to confront the condition of their life, as you begin to come up against the fact that they've categorized themselves as not being a part of the church or they've categorized themselves as God doesn't love me or they've categorized themselves as as what they cannot do. You begin to unlock in their mind and reveal that what God did for you, He can do for them. Mm. Comfort can't change you talk to you like leaders for a moment? Because in leadership, a weak leader will just comfort people. I know that sounds contradictory, but a a weak leader will pacify people, will, will just comfort people to win people. But the people never grow because you never confronted the condition that got them into that place. But if you're going to be a real leader and really love people, confrontation shows that you care. Because when you care for them, you're willing to confront them, to take them beyond their current place of limitation in their life, to take them to the place that God has for them. And Jesus gave Peter keys to the kingdom, but, but Peter had to be the one to unlock it. Peter had to be the one to confront the man in his condition. He didn't just encourage him and say, good job, man, on your way. God bless you. No, he, he actually reached into his life and he confronted him in his current condition. And he used the authority in Jesus' name to begin to unlock the purpose and the plan that God had for him. I don't know what's crippling you. I don't know what your current condition is. But for him, he was crippled; he was lame. Fewer might be fear, it might be hate, it might be uncertainty, it might be a whole bunch of things. Whatever it is, to apply the keys of the kingdom to see breakthrough in your life, it first starts with confronting the condition—the condition of your heart, the condition of your life—and look what happens. Verse seven says, "Taking by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became." Strong, instantly, instantly he was healed. This is not normal. This is not a normal interaction for this man on this day. He's been doing this from birth. We don't know how old he is, but let's just assume he's 20. For 20 years, this is not normal. For 20 years, he's had the same response. For 20 years, it's been a temporary fix. But on this day, something not, not normal happens. And instantly, he was healed. Instantly, he was Healed. Another version says, as he stood to his feet, he was healed. Without reaching into his condition and pulling him to his feet, the healing wouldn't have taken place. He had to actually get beyond himself and reach into the condition. Can we write down that word healed? Healed. Healed. That in the routine of our life, God wants to do something miraculous with the expectation. That God can do something. God can work with expectation. When you begin to not just let your experience be measured by, I mean, your expectation be measured by your experience, but as you raise your expectation, believing that God is able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then then, then your expectation is high and your experience is high. Because you know that you operate under the authority of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. That's the name that you bear. And God didn't just send you empty handed on this mission. He's like, I'm going to couple you with the Holy Spirit. So now you have the power of life and death in your tongue, whatever you you speak you will create whatever you speak into existence you begin to build and then it requires us though to have some confrontation yeah. to not just live comfortable but to, but but to confront some situations to live beyond ourselves and then we're going to begin to see that people are going to begin to get healed and I, and I like this because I'm real clever like a preacher because all of these words spell something check it out it spells reach. We need to be able to reach. That's the part that we play. The part that Jesus said, I will build my church, but what I'm calling you to do is begin to reach. Would you reach beyond yourselves? Would you get a reach on the inside of you? Would you reach beyond your current limitation? Would you not let the limitation of your your crippled heart and your hateful heart or your position be the thing that holds you back? Would you begin to reach? Would you begin to extend? Because Jesus said, I'll build it by my grace. My grace is the invitation, but I'm looking for some people who will invite. and we'll begin to reach, reach out, reach beyond the, the situation, to extend beyond. This is how the church is growing because these people begin to reach. We begin to begin to stretch, and it's as he reached into the man's life. As he reached into his situation, that, that the miracle began to come. God didn't take him out of their routine. Life isn't that fascinating. that they, they had this awesome Sunday moment. They had this amazing miracle moment. The Holy Spirit was poured out. He began to preach thousands of people come to Christ. But then it's Monday. But it was in the midst of their routine. And this is what I love about the routine because you've got Peter and you've got John who, who each day they would have gone the same path, same way from the house. guess it's Monday, got to go to the prayer meeting now. And they're on the way to the prayer meeting every day. They knew the path. They knew the routine. And it's fascinating to me because the Bible doesn't explicitly say it, but I'm guessing this guy was there a lot. He figured it out. It's where the money comes. It's the best place. At three o'clock, on a Monday, be there. It's where money. And so there were so many times, I'm guessing, countless times where Peter and John would have just walked past this guy. Didn't even notice. Didn't even see it. But this is what happens when you begin to understand the authority that you have. When you have an encounter with God, when you have a Holy Spirit moment, when you have an upper room experience, the very thing that changes around your life is your vision. You begin to see things differently. As nothing's changed except your vision, and now they 're walking along a same path on the same prayer service, the same lame guy, but now they see it differently. And they begin to see with hope. They begin to see with a new expectation. They begin to see that I don't have anything to give anymore. What I've got is the very name of Jesus Christ who can reach beyond my situation, reach beyond my circumstance and begin to reach into their world. And I can bring a change if I would just confront the situation, if I would just get beyond myself, And I would get to a place of hope. What Christ has done in me, if He can do it in me, He can do it in you. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. Rise to your feet. What Christ has done for me, He can do for you. Reach. Reach. Reach beyond yourself. You begin to see your routine differently. No longer is Monday about turning up to this work and I gotta turn up to this job and I gotta deal with the drama, I gotta deal with the dilemmas, I gotta deal with the delinquents, I gotta deal with all the stuff, I gotta deal with the... no no no. No longer do you see yourself as entitled. Well, my job owes me this much time off, and my, my job owes me this, don't they know how hard I've been working here? That's entitled. You owe me. You see from an entrusted point of view where I'm so thankful for the provision that you've given me, God. Every step, I'm thankful that you gave me a job and God, that you can use this platform for your glory. God, would you create opportunities today for me to see things differently. Lord, let me see how I can reach beyond myself and reach into my coworkers, reach into my family. Begin to reach. Begin to reach. I gotta close. But I do know this, that For us to get to a place where we can reach, we first have to be reached. We first have to be reached because we're all crippled by some condition. The Bible calls it sin. There's all, all of a condition where we're crippled. But this is what I love about God's grace and salvation is it's never man coming to God, it's God coming to man that He reached into our circumstance. He reached into our life and He's reaching today. He's reaching today. And He wants to pull you out of that funk. He wants to pull you out of that situation. He wants to pull you out of that past, that hurt, that pain. He wants to pull you out of that shame and that guilt. He wants to pull you out of that viewpoint. He wants to pull you out of that condition. And He wants to redeem your life, restore your life and set you on a path and a trajectory that He planned all along. He wants to set you on the path. But it requires you receiving the reach. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about C3 Silicon Valley, to plan your visit or to support this ministry financially, visit us at c3sv.com.